You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. What we would like to basically set in stone by that point would be, you know, a certain amount of smart contracts which are operating as they should. The network itself running very autonomously, um, users, nodes come and going as they please and users earning interest. So hopefully kind of the backbone of, of making staking easy would be uh, our goal and hopefully we would have accomplished it by then by generating a network that's very widely used and uh, very easy to enter and exit. Today, we are joined by Dave Rugendijk, co-founder and CTO of RocketPool. RocketPool is a next-generation Ethereum proof-of-stake infrastructure service designed to be highly decentralized, distributed, secure, and compatible with Casper 2.0, the new consensus protocol that Ethereum will transition to in late 2019 that will allow it to have proof-of-stake instead of proof-of-work. RocketPool offers any user, business, wallet provider, exchange, or hedge fund the ability to provide their users with the option to earn interest on their Ethereum holdings for a fixed term without worrying about maintaining an extensive staking infrastructure. Just plug and play. Staking services will be a robust business when Ethereum transitions to proof of stake, and RocketPool's selling points are its ease of use and its decentralized non-custodial design. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as Dave is a talented builder and has unique perspectives on staking. Please introduce yourself and, and where are you joining us from today? Okay, I am David Rugendijk, the CTO and a founder of RocketPool. Uh, we're an Australian-based uh, company. And David, what were you doing prior to founding RocketPool? Uh, prior to this, I was a web developer with a crypto background. So yeah, I've been a web developer in one way or another for about the last 15, 20 years. I also got into crypto fairly early on. Yeah, and those have been my main two passions pretty much up to starting RocketPool. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear how and when people got into crypto. So you've been in the space for a while, but what, what brought you into it? Believe it or not, it was basically, uh, I got into it fairly early. So probably around mid-2014. Um, this was actually the start of the uh, altcoin boom. So this is when uh, Dogecoin and a few of those other ones, which are still hanging around, kind of came onto the scene. So if 2017 was year of the ICO, then 2014 was year of the altcoin. So, yeah, I kind of got into it back then. Um, I originally found out about it through Reddit, and I basically just started getting into mining early on. So I originally had my own um, uh, Bitcoin mining rig, um, which I used for altcoins and so forth. That was at like six video cards strapped to a computer in an insanely hot room. Yeah, and that basically started mining crypto. Um, it piqued my interest just through, well, basically through the rise of the popularity at the time. So this was probably before the last crypto bubble. So back in 2014 was uh, Mt. Gox. That was another big bubble, and that kind of attracted a lot of people at the time because, you know, the value of Bitcoin was going through the roof. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons I got into it back then. It's basically just as, as a hobby, and it kind of uh, took over. <laughs> So if you're in the Ethereum community, you likely know what RocketPool is, but for the broader tech and crypto community, what, what, what is RocketPool and, and what problem are you guys solving? Basically, RocketPool itself is being designed as a way to help you earn interest on your Ethereum holdings. So I think many people are probably kind of familiar with uh, current mining pools. So with Bitcoin, 
you can basically put a computer to work to earn to validate transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. And this in return for that, you get awarded in Bitcoin. For Ethereum, they are basically transitioning to a, a new way of doing this called proof of stake. And what it allows you to do is to earn interest on your Ethereum holdings. And to do that, you basically have to keep a computer online to validate transactions. What Rockapool does, it eliminates a few of these initial barriers to entry for this. So I think the minimum to earn interest on Ethereum uh, through the proof of stake mechanism is 32 Ether. So at, at the moment, this is probably, uh, you know, around about three and a half thousand dollars. If someone in the traditional banking system said you could only open a bank account and earn interest on your money if you have three and a half thousand dollars, uh, that probably wouldn't go down too well with a lot of people who um, don't have that much. So what Rockapool allows you to do is pull your Ether together with other users and overcome these barriers to entry and earn interest on your Ethereum in the meantime. So who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, that, if you have Ethereum, that sounds like a, a very attractive proposition. Yeah, yeah. So it is an attractive proposition, um, what we are basically putting forward. There's not too many uh, competitors uh, that we have at the moment. In fact, I'm only aware of maybe one, and they're kind of doing things a little differently to the way we're approaching it. It's the second biggest cryptocurrency today, and its its trajectory is only getting every better by the month. So we've got a very early start on this, and we're definitely going to try and capitalize on that. So you're doing this in a decentralized way. What What does that mean? Okay, so what we're basically trying to do is create a, yeah, a decentralized network of um, users that allows them to earn interest. The decentralized part of that is anyone can join our network, which Rockpool has built. They can put a node into it or they can stake their other without running a node. This allows users to overcome a certain amount of barriers to entry. Being decentralized means anyone can join it. Like it's permissionless. So we allow anyone to join our network to earn uh, interest on the Ether or anyone to put a node into our network to generate additional income and also stake their own Ether. So we, we essentially match two types of users, those who want to stake their Ether or earn interest on their Ether without you know, contributing any computational resources such as a, a node and those who do want to contribute a node and also stake their own Ether. So we match these two groups up together. Uh, using smart contracts on the Ethereum network. And that allows these two parties to kind of work off each other uh, in a decentralized way. So you, you could have, you could be in America and staking your Ether and some person, you know, in Europe or Australia could be running a node and they would be um, basically putting their computational resources for your Ether deposit and earning ent- interest for you in any part of the world. So our main aim, make it decentralized, is to increase redundancy in the network. So uh, let's say if you were using a centralized service, say uh, say Coinbase in the future offers um, staking, which they no doubt will, they will most likely uh, be fully control of these servers and they will you know, probably be in one or two locations. Yeah. And so if anything goes wrong with that, they can obviously you know, have some pretty big issues. So what we're attempting to do is to allow uh, to create this network where anyone can join in a decentralized way and it's permissionless. If something goes wrong, in our network, it's designed to basically pick up the slack in another area so that you don't lose um, any interest on your other holdings. So it's a fairly complicated matter, but yeah, that is our main goal is to make it as decentralized as possible. No, that makes sense. And I think the decentralized uh, proposition is really important here. So you feel like, um, you know, there's no counterparty risk and, and that's really the, the main selling point. But so walk me through how this works. So say I go to Coinbase, I'm new to crypto, I buy $5,000 of, of Ether 
um, how do I start staking it with Rocket Pool on a step-by-step basis? We have a website um, which is basically going to be up in the next uh, month or two. It's a it's a new beta version of our website, and this basically represents how Rocket Pool will work in the long run. So you you'll take the ether that you bought on Coinbase. You'll basically go to the Rocket Pool website, you know, using MetaMask or any other kind of Ethereum-enabled device, which allows you to interact with a, a Web three website. You can then send your ether to Rocket Pool. And what Rocket Pool will then do is it will uh, divide your deposit up into into certain chunks. So what it, what a chunk is? It's basically a chunk is uh, four ether. So say you have a deposit of sixteen ether, we will break your deposit up into four different uh, chunks and then assign these to four different nodes throughout the world. So if anything goes wrong with your um, you know a node that your has your deposit on it, only a small portion of that deposit is affected. So this, this is where the redundancy, which I spoke about earlier, comes into. So we are basically aiming to make sure um, your deposits are as safe as possible by distributing the risk. So the bigger your deposit, the less risk. So that's essentially what it comes down to. So yeah, as I was saying, yeah, you just send it to our website, then our smart contracts will take care of the rest. And can you take it out, uh, stop staking at any time, or do you, do you need to leave it in for a certain amount of time? We actually, uh, we have several staking um, periods. So what it's similar to uh, a fixed term uh, bank account. So you'll be able to put in your Ether holdings for say three months, six months, nine months, or 12 months. And at the end of this period, you'll be able to withdraw. We do have another ability for you to withdraw midway. But what this does, it forfeits your rewards if you do it this way. So you can get your deposit out, but you won't get the interest that was earned on that ether if you withdraw early. So it's just a, it's more of a technical um, prohibitation that we have to work around that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what protocols do you support? Is it Will it just be Ethereum to start or do you Tezos or some other uh, proof of stake models? It's just Ethereum at the start. Um, Ethereum is obviously probably one of the biggest, well, it is one of the biggest cryptocurrencies. We're basically going uh, deep rather than wide. So we're spending uh, a considerable amount of time and resources making sure we get this right for Ethereum. Um, we could spend obviously other resources and look at other proof of state networks, but all these proof of state networks, then none are created equal. Um, so they, they do operate a proof of stake, but there's obviously different variances in how they work. And especially with Ethereum 2.0 or the new Serenity update, which is uh, underway at the moment, that is considerably different uh, to most other proof of stake mechanisms, uh, especially the fact that it's going to be rolled out in phases. So it'll be rolled out in, you know, like phase zero, phase one, phase two over a couple of years. So us, you know, contributing our resources towards that and make sure we get that right is our, definitely our, basically what we're aiming for at the moment. And at what phase will Rocket Pool be up and running? So you talked about phase zero, phase one, phase two. What needs to happen at Ethereum in order for uh, I can start staking or users can start staking with Rocket Pool? Yeah, okay. So we are looking to um, be there for phase zero. The way Rocket Pool will operate will change uh, very slightly depending on the phase, which is currently Ethereum is going through for proof of stake. So I'll just elaborate a little bit on phase zero. So on phase zero, you'll send... In order to participate in Ethereum, you send uh, 32 Ether to a contract on the main chain. That then is essentially held there until um, basically until phase one starts, which is the next phase, and then you can you can move that Ether, um, Ether around. Basically, what Rockpool is going to do in phase zero is we will offer you know these staking opportunities, but um, since you can't get your deposit back in phase zero, we're going to issue you a, a token. 
So this token backs your deposit. And then when phase zero and phase one come into play, you can trade this token back into Rockapool for the actual Ether. So this is how we're going to kind of approach uh, phase zero and phase one. It is kind of very technical, some of the things which go on in this phase. So part of, again, one of the reasons why we're focusing so hard on Ethereum is because we need to get this right and we do want to get this perfect for, for the launch. Oh, that's fascinating. I really like that approach. That's very clever. What's the timing of this? Is it, are we six months away or a year away from Rocket Pool being up and running? Yeah, it, it really depends on some of the uh, technical challenges we're facing uh, at the moment. So Rocket Pool was originally designed for um, Ethereum 1.0. So I don't, don't know how far back uh, many of the listeners have been keeping track of Ethereum, but Ethereum about a year ago um, was going to launch a different proof of stake system. So this was actually a smart contract which existed on the current main chain. Um, Rockpool was a design from late 2016 to work with this. Ethereum uh, at about June last year kind of announced that they're going to uh, combine two approaches for scaling and for proof of stake. Uh, so scaling is basically uh, sharding, which is a, another technology which is going to be rolled out with um, proof of stake at the same time. And obviously proof of stake. So this was a really big pivot back in the day. So we changed a lot of our technical features to work with this new approach. And we've been doing that since June last year. We still have a few to go, but I think the actual rollout for Ethereum 2.0 or at least phase zero, you'll probably be looking at um, some test nets, some you know, um, Ethereum Foundation test nets within a few months, I'd hope. And you'd probably be looking maybe late 2019 early 2020, you might see phase zero start to come into play. It is quite hard to say. They, they are still working on the spec, but there is a lot of teams working on this. I mean, it's not just the Ethereum Foundation. You have many other teams from uh, Consensus, um, uh, Status, a whole bunch of them currently working on implementations for the Ethereum 2.0 spec. So there is a lot of work being done on this. Um, but again, it's hard to say at this point, but if I, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say late 2019. And what is your relationship with Ethereum? And I've seen some good uh, publishings from Vitalik about Rocket Pool. Is the Ethereum and consensus community pushing users towards Rocket Pool? Do you have any official partnerships? I'd say they'd probably take the neutral approach of not backing any, any one pool uh, out of the gate, which is just perfectly understandable. We do have a, a good relationship with you know a few of the people working on the project. We've been in the space, like I said, for since that late 2016. So we do have a... a fairly uh, good following the Ethereum community. We have a lot of people that know about us on Reddit. Basically, just generally in, in the community, we're fairly well known. But like you said, Vitalik's tweeted a few of the things we'd done last year, which has um, you know, raised our awareness quite a bit then too. Pretty much been at all the major conferences and so forth. Uh, and, and in saying that, I still think we're relatively uh, under the radar, um, which is never a bad thing in my opinion. Um, we've pretty much been concentrating on the tech and the product, a lot of a lot of these projects, you know, you would have you would have probably seen this in the, the ICO hype of 2017. A lot of projects were were all talking little substance. We've kind of approached it from the other way of trying to get something working first before we really throw ourselves out there. But in the, in saying that, just from working on this project and being in space for so long, we're quite well known in some regard. But you know, not not as big as, say, other projects that have been around kind of a similar time frame, like Augur and stuff like that. They're way more well-known than us. So, yeah, we're concentrating on tech first for now. <laughs> no, that's great to hear. And one question that I know our listeners would want me to ask, um, given that you're one of the leading experts on proof of stake because you figured out all of these various integration uh, work that needs to be done, what, what are your high-level thoughts on proof of work versus proof of stake, kind of the pros and cons of both? 
Yeah, well, there's, a, there's probably an argument which has um, been around for a couple of years now. Uh, to me personally, um, I think both had their place. Proof of work is obviously the, the one that was trialled by fire with Bitcoin uh, starting out, and it's obviously held up really well. Proof of stake, on the other hand, it hasn't been tested as much. There has been proof of stake uh, implementations throughout the years. That altcoin boom that I talked about uh, 2014, proof of stake was even back then. There was a few altcoins uh, I think it was Peercoin and Blackcoin, um, a few of the ones that started back then. They they implemented some very rudimentary versions of proof of stake. Um, they had some flaws, uh, which Ethereum's approach with Casper has has solved. So, and obviously proof of stake um, doesn't use nearly as much resources as proof of work does. So that that's probably one of the the arguments which um, people generally go to first of why proof of stake uh, is better than proof of work. Um, proof of stake requires minimal com- computational resources. Proof of work, on the other hand, you know, proof of work for Bitcoin, the, the amount of electricity consumed by that is, matches a small country. Uh, proof of stake, on the other hand, very light on resources, but um, some would argue not as secure as proof of work due to some uh, technical reasons. On you know, That can easily be... Uh, uh, can argument against that quite easily too. Um, personally, myself, obviously being in Ethereum and working on Rockapool, big proof of stake fan. I think what they've done for Ethereum 2.0, the, um, the way they've designed it, um, it's pretty much solved most issues with existing proof of stake systems, like I mentioned, for the 2014s, you know, some of the early implementations that have gone on. Um, these have pretty much all been solved uh, with Ethereum 2.0. And on top of that, they're also introducing sharding, which is a scaling approach. It's another main criticism of Ethereum. Um, it's been so popular, it's kind of um, shot itself in the foot where it's been so popular that the amount of work going on on the Ethereum blockchain has um, needed to scale badly in order to compensate for that. And so, yeah, proof of work, really good. Um, it's been around for a long time, but it uses huge amounts of resources. Proof of stake, fairly new, not as uh, tested well, but you know, much less resources, much less resource intensive and, you know, much more green in that regard. And what do you think about um, the security properties of both proof of work and proof of stake and the kind of fairness or egalitarianism of both uh, systems as well? Yeah, I've I've heard this um, too. I've heard, you know, uh, the argument with proof of stake where obviously it favors the wealthy. There's certain limits on proof of stake for how much you can, you know, stake at one time. Uh, you know, obviously having having a lot more ever puts you in a, a better position. Uh, a counter argument to that is Rockapool is actually a solution to that in a way because you can, you know, stake either as, you know, without having to meet a certain threshold. So I'd argue we're kind of a, a benefit to Ethereum proof of stake in that regard. Proof of work, on the other hand, um, you could argue, you know, the same thing for proof of work at the moment because the, the amount of resources required to get into proof of work, you know, if you want to mine, you need a huge amount of capital to start up now, just purely because of the rise of ASICs, which are, ASIC is basically a certain type of CPU which does one thing and does it really well. Um, so this is what uh, Bitcoin mining is compromised of now. It's got a huge amount of uh, these ASICs and they cost a lot um, to start up with. So it, it's very kind of centralised in that regard. You, you'll find a lot of the big firms are pretty much there's maybe six or seven mining pools now which pretty much control Bitcoin mining. There's many arguments that could be made for the egalitarian of both, egalitarianism of both, but, yeah, it depends how long you've got to chat about it, I guess. <laughs> no, absolutely. And tell me about some of the tools and infrastructure that Rocket Pool either has built or needs to build to make sure that it's accessible and secure when proof of stake uh, comes happens for Ethereum. 
probably the first and foremost thing is our smart contract. So these are the these are things which handle the onboarding of users into proof of stake and also making sure their fonts are secure and their fonts are distributed throughout the network in a secure kind of redundant fashion. So that's probably the main thing. We've been working on those for quite a while now and they are actually open source. So if you want to go and have a check out um, our progress and see how we're doing with that, that's open source. Anyone can download them, put them through the tests at the moment. Uh, number two is probably our smart node software. So if you want to run a node in the Rocket Pool network and stake your own other, so that's basically giving the network some, you know, a server which can validate proof of stake transactions. You, you earn actually a bit more interest if you provide a, a node to our network than if you didn't. So in return for that, um, we basically provide software which these users can install on their node. And this allows them to connect to our smart contracts and um, a couple of things. So this is probably our second most requirement at the moment. And we are developing that now. Um, it's coming along really well. So uh, that should probably be out within the next month or two, I think. Um, and people will be able to try that out in our beta, which is coming up in the next few months. So it's uh, actually our second beta. So that's probably the two biggest challenges at the moment is, is designing this kind of uh, server infrastructure um, node software and, and the smart contract, which handle users' funds. So that's obviously a very important one as well. It's obviously important as a startup or startup protocol to have a lot of focus and you know really know who your customers are. What types of people or users or um, groups are you targeting for your initial customers? For the initial ones, probably um, we're actually going to try and stop a few partnerships. So with Rockapool, we've designed it in a way where it's not just people that come to uh, you know the Rockapool website that can use Rockapool. We've designed it in a way so existing wallets, exchanges, um, you know, uh, bigger firms can basically onboard their users into the Rockapool network seamlessly. So let's say let's say a wallet. Um, and currently a wallet that wanted to offer proof of stake services. So say um, a fixed term interest, you know, like I was mentioning earlier that Rockapool provides. If one of these wallets wanted to do that without having to worry about the infrastructure or setting up uh, monitoring uh, extensive extensive amount of work and setting up a proof of stake network, they could simply onboard these users uh, into Rocketpool in the background. And then they can actually charge uh, these users or they can actually put a fee which they earn from onboarding users onto our network. So we're kind of creating a, a system where uh, you can use Rockpool as an individual user if you want, um, or you can use it through a third party such as a group, an exchange, wallet provider, and that's all done seamlessly in the background. So we really kind of want to make an open network that everyone can use. And in return, obviously, Rockpool charges a, a very small fee from the interest that's earned by these users. So if for some reason the Rockpool network doesn't perform or doesn't perform well, our earnings are basically based on the interest that our users generate. So if that doesn't earn well, then we don't make any income. So it's in our best interest to make sure the network's operating well. Tell us a little bit about the big vision for Rocket Pool. So let's fast forward to you know ten years from now. By that time, proof of would definitely be well underway. Rocket Pool would be operating as a kind of homogenous network, uh, very decentralized, um, very permissionless. By that time, I'd like to think um, our hands-on you know, ability to change the network would have diminished. So what we would like to basically set in stone by that point would be, you know, a certain amount of smart contracts which are operating there as they should. The network itself running very autonomously, um, users, nodes coming and going as they please and users earning interest. So hopefully kind of the backbone of, of making staking easy would be uh, our goal and hopefully we would have accomplished it by then by generating a network that's very widely used and uh, very easy to enter and exit if needed. And is the fee that Rocket Pool charges transparent to users? And do you expect that to 
go up and down over time? Is it is it elastic? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we, we can change that. Um, I would definitely uh, change it depending on the the network status. So obviously, you know, if we want to attract users, uh, make it competitively low. Uh, if we're doing insanely well, um, make it so that it's still competitive because we don't want our um, network to be compromised in any way by competitors. Yeah, so basically our goal with that would be just to um, make it as competitive as possible. And we, we do actually have another um, fee in the network, and this is charged by users which contribute nodes to the network. So these nodes are obviously the thing which validate proof-of-stake transactions, and these users can stake their own Ether uh, for free in the network because they're giving the network computational resources. So you might even see big, huge um, current providers, uh, web hosting providers, could even contribute spare resources to our network and generate income that way. These users can actually vote for a fee that they want to charge users in our network as well. So this would be another small fee that goes on top of ours where these node operators can, it's basically a split fee. So these node operators can vote for the fee that they want to charge. And then the, the fee that's reached eventually over time kind of reaches an equilibrium where each node provider would say, you know, I want to charge 3%. Another node provider would say, you know, our resource is really good. We can get away with charging 1%. It would then reach an equilibrium, say 1.5% over time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much a, a self-regulating network, which is what we're trying to achieve. Uh, I see. So the node operators um, set their fees within within Rocketpool, and then Rocketpool as a protocol also takes a, a small fee. Yeah. So our fee obviously would be much less. By this time, we would, you know, want to hope the network is self regulating uh, in a decentralized fashion. So our our fee then would be purely for you know taking care of the smart contracts, um, maintaining the network as best we can. Um, whereas the resources that are provided to the network by the node operators. They're the ones essentially doing the heavy lifting at this point, so they should be rewarded uh, the most. But that, that's quite a ways down the track. So that is our long-term goal, though, is to make sure it's a self-sustaining network where node operators, who are the ones really putting resources to the network, are rewarded. Oh, that's awesome. And how big of an opportunity is this? Like, Have you done some market sizing exercises? The, the market cap for Ethereum is insanely huge. So, um, and we don't really have too many competitors at the moment. There is one other competitor I'm aware of, which is called Vest. Um, they are looking at basically generating a, a kind of a marketplace for validators. So uh, let's say you wanted to earn some interest. You could pick from a certain marketplace of validators. Um, and I'm not sure how they rate them because um, there's many different things which go into this. They're basically kind of our, an indirect competitor at the moment. But at the moment, um, yeah, the, we don't, really don't have many competitors. So uh, we've got a pretty good head start, so I'd like to think we're um, in a pretty good position at the moment. That's really interesting. Vest was actually on our show. They're one of the first guests we had maybe almost a year ago at this point. So Yeah. yeah. No, can you elaborate on that a bit, um, how, how you guys think of yourself as being different from Vest? We're looking at setting up a, a, a decentralized network, whereas Vest is more of a centralized uh, setup. So I'm not sure how they rate validators and so forth. So their one is more centralized. We're aiming to be more decentralized by setting up an actual a network which can take care of itself uh, in, in the long run So, and, and making it decentralized. So we're kind of indirect competitors. We're, we're competing for people to you know, send their Ether to our service to, to stake, but we both approach, it, approach that from very different ways. Um, there's a laundry list of differences between us, but I'd say that probably the number one is we're decentralized or we're aiming for a decentralized solution, whereas there is more centralized. Yep, that makes a ton of sense. And tell me about, uh, you know, a little bit about two things, um, Rocket Pool's team structure and two about your fundraising and, you know, past fundraising and, and future fundraising. 
We operate a fairly compact team. So being a, being a developer for, or being a senior developer for 15 plus years now, I've always worked in teams which are, work in a kind of a compact fashion. So one thing you, you'll never get with developers is the more developers you throw at a product won't get it built any better or faster. It usually slows it down and results in huge inefficiencies. So we're operating off a fairly compact team of um, a couple of fairly talented developers. So I started this project and I brought on uh, our senior developer, Jake, who is another guy that I've worked with for six plus years. Um, he's our senior dev at the moment. Uh, he's doing amazing. Um, Darren is another guy that we've brought on probably an, another year ago. He's done a number of work for us. In the meantime, he's done really well as well. We have Michelle, who's a CFO, so she handles our finances. Um, we are looking at bringing on a, a general manager at some point um, in the near future just to help with uh, setting up partnerships and so forth. Currently, yeah, we're a team of uh, four, maybe five, depending on um, what freelancers we use at the time. It's a compact team and it's definitely makes things a lot more efficient development-wise. We did a, a token sale in uh, late 2017. Uh, it was a fairly modest one by most standards. Um, we basically aimed for, I think it was $4 million at the time, which is quite quite compact by um, ICO standards. We did that. That went really well. Um, we got some funding from Consensus um, as well in 2018. They obviously saw you know good things in rocket pool consensus venture capital arm was uh started in late 2017 they came to australia in november of 2017 rocket pool was picked as uh one of three projects australia-wide uh, i got to do a pitch to them in a sydney uh ethereum conference um we took that one away so yeah they've obviously uh seen some pretty good things to us and we've been working fairly fairly closely with them in the meantime Future funding-wise, um, we definitely probably look at things something this year. So depending on how things go, um, obviously the roadmap for Ethereum has changed and, uh, you know, so our funding should also. Originally, we were aiming to, you know, start earning some income early this year based on the older Casper method before that got ditched uh, in June last year. So that also changed our, our runway and projections a bit. So, yeah, we'll probably look at doing some uh, some funding uh, at this year at some point. Um, I can't say when, hopefully sooner than later, because um, we would like to start expanding the team, like I said, with some additional resources like general manager and so forth, which can start handling partnerships and uh, things that aren't quite technical in nature. Um, we have a very solid development team, so uh, expanding on that front would be great in the future and you know, some further funding rounds might help with that. And how can our listeners follow the progress of Rocket Pool and be ready to participate when you guys go live? Check our website out. So our website has links to our blog as well. Uh, our blog has all our recent development updates, uh, news articles. We have quite a number of articles on there. We generally put one out per month and we've been around now for quite a while. So, you know, if you fancy a, a little bit of uh, not so, oh, a, bit of light, a bit of light and not so light reading, yeah, you're more than welcome to check out our blog uh, to get it, to track out our progress. But our website is always updated with anything that happens in the ecosystem for us. We do also do have a Discord uh, chat room, so you're more than welcome to jump in that. That pretty much gets uh, you know any kind of news update before we publish them in, in the blog or on the website. So if you're really, really keen, uh, I would join that. Um, otherwise, check the website out and check the blog out, uh, Twitter as well. So that's uh, another one which can be found on the website. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about the crypto markets. So um, what are some trends you're observing in crypto right now? 
2018 was a horrible year for anyone with uh, any kind of funds in, in crypto. Uh, yeah, the 2017 um, bubble popped in spectacular fashion in January and it was a pretty much a steady slide down for all of 2018. You know, so, some would say it was a final capitulation in, uh, I think it was uh, January, uh, where it halved again another 50% this year. Uh, my personal feelings on the market is, um, and obviously this is not investment advice in any way, shape or form, but I do feel like um, the crypto markets have bottomed. For a couple of reasons for that. Um, the Bitcoin halvening uh, is due in uh, May of 2020. So that's about 14 months away. So if the market hasn't bottomed out now, then it's running out of time to do so because it's generally seen as, you know, you, you have the supply of any kind of market, especially the, the king of cryptos like Bitcoin. Um, that'll have a, a huge effect, you know, so obviously inflation-wise and price-wise. It might not be immediate, but I do feel um, the current market will probably start shaping up into a more healthier fashion in the next six months at least. I mean, Ethereum itself has just gone through um, the third inning, which is uh, a recent hard fork they have, which uh, reduced the amount of Ether issued each block by, you know, 33%. This might not have an immediate effect. You know, there was a small pump before that happened, but you'll see, I think you'll see in the next six to nine months um, the effect of you know cutting inflation by 33% will start having a, a pretty positive impact on uh, Ethereum's uh, price. Uh, Litecoin is another one. Um, it's not really a crypto that I'm interested in, but it also has a halvening, uh, similar to Bitcoin, where the amount of Litecoin produced every day halves. This is happening in August for them, so you if you look at the charts at the moment, you'll see uh, Litecoin's price has gone up significant in this news. You know, whether that'll probably come back down somewhat, but uh, that's also dragged up another uh, few of the other cryptos at the moment. So I think with Ethereum's third inning, Litecoin's halvening and Bitcoin's halvening due in 14 months, some of the bigger cryptos, this will generally, uh, reducing the inflation this much, will have a fairly positive impact on uh, crypto prices in general, I think, over the next year. I don't think we'll see another 2018 for at least a few years yet. So I think it'll probably be a bit of sideways action, a bit more increasing in price. I think you'll see a few fireworks towards the end of the year, but that's just my personal opinion based on uh, yeah, my never-ending uh, reading abilities when it comes to crypto. No, it's, it's a fun market to follow. It's Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and what are some of the crypto projects that you're personally most excited about? I've always been an Augur fan. So Augur is basically a prediction market based on Ethereum where the kind of the wisdom of the crowds concept comes into play where if enough people think something's going to happen in a certain way, then chances are it will. This is a project which has been around for quite some time. I've always been really intrigued by um, the way this works, both from a psychology perspective and seeing it implemented on Ethereum as one of their first major projects. And it, it's been live for a while now, I think. The only problem with it so far to date is it really didn't have a great uh, UI. So using it and interacting with it wasn't fantastic. But there is another company that's come out now. Uh, their name escapes me at this point. Vale? Yes, yes, that's it, Vale. Yes, and they, they are developing a much smoother experience for interacting with this. So I think once people get used to interacting with Augur and, you know, you'll see the possibilities for it are huge. Like, you know, obviously gambling markets alone, are, I mean, that's valued. Who knows how many 
trillions of dollars or millions of dollars at the moment. Um, you can do all that in Orgo. You can do that in countries where gambling's banned. You can bet on anything and people love to bet. So I think I think in the long, wrong one, that's not its only use case, obviously. It's just one which people can relate to, um, you know, fairly easily. Yeah, so Orgo is probably one that's been um, on my roadmap for now for quite a while. And obviously, to be honest, I'll probably just concentrate on Ethereum in general otherwise. There's a few other smaller projects about which um, I think might have some impact in the future, but I, I don't want to name them just yet because I think they're quite small at the moment. In general, just I think Ethereum in itself is just something I'm pretty much consumed with following. Just, you know, from the nature of developing something rock, rock pool where we need to stay on top of changes to it. Um, I think I get up 100 plus emails every day from changes to, to the repo, which I'm sub- subscribed to. So that's a good portion of my day is reading over just changes to Ethereum 2.0. And that, that's very exciting in itself. So, yeah, that's that's probably, uh, Augur is probably yeah, my, my number one side project, which I follow at the moment. Awesome. Anything else that we didn't cover that you want to talk about or any other prompts on Rocket Pool that are worth covering? Yeah, make sure you uh, subscribe to our Twitter if you can. Um, we'll probably be doing a few announcements uh, over that in the next few months. We are working towards having a beta. We've already done one beta that was for our existing Rocket Pool, which matched the old purpose stake on the old Ethereum. That was run uh, for two months last year and that went really well. That was pretty much maxed out the entire two months it was running. Um, we had to up some uh, subscription list where you have to sign up to, to, to basically get into it. Um, so we're going to be having another beta for um, Rocket Pool 2.0, which is built for Ethereum 2.0. So that'll be out in the next few months. Yeah. So if you want to get in on that, um, yeah, by all means, follow our Twitter and there, there'll be more than enough announcements leading up to that in the, in the next few months. So you don't need real Ether to participate. We will actually have fake Ether, which you can use on our own testnet. So you can jump in and um, yeah, grab heaps of fake ether. In fact, that's running from our original beta. That was one of the really funny things about it was people love free stuff. Even if it's imaginary ether, people just get on there and just drain this um, faucet that we have uh, of free ether. You couldn't use it for anything but rocket pool, but some people are just obsessed with it. So there you go. People love fake internet money. The key takeaways from today's episode are one, When Ethereum transitions to proof of stake, users will be able to earn a yield on their Ethereum. Two, Rocket Pool hopes to be the leading staking service by offering an easy-to-use interface and non-custodial solution. And three, Rocket Pool anticipates to be up and running by the end of 2019, and you can visit rocketpool.net to begin learning how their staking services work. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.